I want to ask you some questions. Do you ever hear negative voices in your head that say things like, you're not good enough? Do you hear you'll never change? Do you hear you'll always live in defeat? And do you hear things like no one can ever know about and you fill in the blank because your voice says if people know about that, they will recoil in horror, they will reject you. Anybody? Here's what you need to know about all those voices. They do not come from God. Jesus said this in John 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus said, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I want you to say rich and satisfying life. If you're not living a rich and satisfying life, then I think it's probably because you, are, um, you have some giants, you have maybe some gorillas who are screaming lies at you and you're believing those lies. One of the big ideas in this whole series is God wants you to be free, but God wants you to be free for his glory. So many times we just want to be free for our own freedom and we don't want to give God any glory. God knows about that, so God's not going to answer that prayer. He wants you to be free for his glory. And one of the reasons he hates today's giant is addiction steals the glory of God and God doesn't want to give his glory to anyone, especially your addiction. And here's the really sad thing. I believe that the majority of us today are online. And by the way, Cassandra's here. We got Cassandra back. She's one of our most faithful watchers on, on uh, Facebook. So, uh, so whoever else is out there, you got to be more faithful than, than Cassandra. She's back. We're grateful that she's here. So I believe we all suffer from an addiction. Now, here's the problem. I was writing down in my notes, and I said, I think we all struggle from, and I wrote this word. Nope. Oh, we didn't put it in there. Didn't, addition. And I, I laughed. I went back and looked. And I said, yeah, there is a gorilla called math, but we're not talking about the gorilla of math today, the giant of math. It's addiction. I just misspelled the word. So let's start with the obvious addictions. First is alcohol. Drugs, illegal drugs. There's drugs that are prescription, legal drugs. There's pornography. Pornography is rampant in the church. It's just a secret sin that people think no one knows about. There's also sex. There are people that are addicted to sex. I didn't know this until I went to a Celebrate Recovery Summit years ago, and person after person stood up and said, my struggle, I'm a Christ follower who struggles with sex, and, and they just feel like they have to have it all the time. There's money. Some of you, your whole deal is, I got to have more money. I got to have more money or more power or more accomplishments. There's also um, adrenaline. Some of you want to just feel that adrenaline rush. I used to be like that. I'm getting too old. Now adrenaline makes me sleep. So I try to avoid it sometimes. Some of you, ha you, you inflict pain upon your life on purpose. And if, you're, if there's no pain, if there's no chaos, you do it intentionally. And then there's this thing that should be a joke, but it's not. It's retail therapy. Used to, you had to go somewhere and push a buggy up and down a cart, uh, up and down an aisle to do re retail therapy. Not anymore. 24-7, Amazon. Well, that makes me feel better. What's coming from Amazon Day? I don't know, but it's got to make me happy. Don't even know what's coming. And some of us are addicted to people. And some of you, okay, some of you are saying, I don't have an addiction. Well, let me ask it this way. What is it that you use to cope when life starts to hurt? Because the answer to that question will tell you and everyone else around you what you worship. When you start to hurt, where do you turn? When you start to feel like you are not in control, what do you use to cope? God created us to be dependent on him and on others. He wants us to depend on him and, and, and Christ followers. But when we start to hurt, we find out what we really want to cope, help us cope in life. And every one of those things on the list, they promise you freedom, but they end up enslaving you. 
It promises a rich and satisfying life, but it, everything on that list brings death. Your coping mechanism starts off slow. It comes in and it binds you until there's no escape apart from the supernatural power of Jesus Christ intervening in your life. That's step three of Celebrate Recovery. You have a higher power. His name is Jesus Christ, and you don't get well until you give all of your life over to his power and control. What most people discover too late is they're prisoners of their own appetites, their own habits. And this, the Bible is very clear about this. 2 Peter 2.19b is the second half of the verse. says, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. And some of you are going, oh, I'm not a slave. I can quit whenever I want to. No, you can't. If you could have, you would have. If your coping mechanism, some of you are like, slave, oh, that's, that's too harsh a term. Well, I got another term for you. If your coping mechanism is anything other than the one true God, here's, the, here's what the Bible calls your poke, poking, I can't even talk, your coping mechanism, sin. Anything you use to cope with life's problems other than God is sin, and my friend, you're addicted. The number one addiction in our world is the approval, the approval of others. Now, I started to wait, but I, I, I don't have time to wait. I started to wait because I think some of you immediately thought, and if I'd given you enough time, you would have said to your neighbor, not me. I'm not addicted to the approval of others. So my question is, why did you immediately think that? Why did you feel the need to say to somebody, I'm not addicted to the approval of others? Could it be that you're, what you're really saying is, I am so addicted to the approval of others? I care very much what you think. How many times do you think Jesus said, I don't care what you think? Anybody got any idea in the scripture how many times was he quoted as saying, I do not care what you think? None. Jesus lived his life to, to, to glorify the Father, and he didn't worry about what people thought, but he also didn't have to remind them that he didn't worry about what people thought. Because when you do, that kind of betrays who and what you are. Why do you think social media is such a big hit? It's because we're addicted to the approval of others. Now, used to, you had to go someplace, but now I can show you my new outfit, my new hairdo, my new car, my new boyfriend, girlfriend, my vacation, and my lunch. Because you need to know what I ate for lunch. Now, I don't have to go anywhere. I can just upload it from my phone. Here I am, world, and here's my cat. God knows we need another picture of your cat. We upload whatever it is that's important to us, and what do we do? We wait. Refresh. Refresh. If you've ever had the thought, why is nobody liking my cat? You have an addiction problem. If you've ever thought or said, why did they just like my picture when there's a love button right next to it? You have an addiction problem. This week I was looking at this, and I, I don't know why, what possessed me, maybe is the Lord, but I decided to look at my Instagram account. And some of y'all don't even know I have an Instagram account, but I've had one since 2014. And so I went and I decided to look at my statistics. I have zero posts in eight years. I mean, because what am I going to do? Post my new hairstyle? <laughs> I have four followers. I'm not exactly sure who they are. 
But you know they would be shocked if I actually posted something. And I'm following five people. That's, that's my relatives. I am an overwhelming success on social media, and I want you to know about it. Do you know what the, the underlying problem is for addiction, this addiction especially? It's usually a person. It's usually not the approval of people, but the approval of one person. And maybe you didn't get that. And so you spend all of your time running around trying to get the approval of others to make up for the approval you didn't get from that special person in your past. And I'm just going to tell you, unless, unless you get to the root of the problem, this giant of addiction is never going to shut up. And really, whether it's whatever the list, I, I listed 12. There's so many other things that you could be addicted to. The real issue in any addiction is this word vulnerability. Does anyone love being vulnerable? I've been married to Janie 31 years, and I still hate telling her that I have feelings. She'll say, did I hurt your feelings? And I'm like, no. I don't love them. 31 years. Because don't you just love being at the mercy of others? You ladies have got this figured out better than we do. Because Janie will just say, you hurt my feelings. I'm like, when? And she'll tell me, I go, oh. Most of the time I know, 31 years, now I know. And, and I usually come and I say, did I mess up? Yep, but not me. The moment we begin to feel vulnerable, we run to our coping mechanism. We feel rejected, we feel wounded, we feel stressed out, whatever it is. What do we, do? we run to our addiction and try to cover up our vulnerability. I don't like my feelings, so I need to cover them up. Well, believe it or not, vulnerability was actually in the valley of Elah in our study of David and Goliath. For 40 days, Goliath has been taunting the Israelites. For 40 days, they've been running and hiding. David shows up to bring his brothers some snacks, and all of a sudden, Goliath starts saying something, and David experiences rightly felt anger that in just a few minutes is going to be rightly expressed. Remember, I told you this is the most rare thing on the planet in the history of the world, rightly felt anger, rightly expressed. David's about to do that. He says, I'll shut up Goliath for the glory of God. God, you want to shut up Goliath, but who's, for whose glory? Because I think a lot of times it's not for God's glory. Someone overhears David talking about this. I'll shut him up. And so they take him to the king. King, we have a volunteer. Don't you know King Saul? He's like, it's about stinking time. How much do I have to offer you lazy people to get you to go and fight Goliath? You know what Saul's coping mechanism is? The approval of others. I don't have time to go into it, but I can show you that he just wanted the approval of others. And when you're not fighting the battle that God has put in front of you and your coping mechanism is the approval of others, what do you do? You hide in your tent until somebody shows up. And don't you know that he was so messed up when, when this boy shows up and says, I'll take the Goliath challenge. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of the Philistine. And I love this. He says, your servant will go and fight him. Now, David's already been belittled by his brother. We've talked about that. He didn't say your servant to his brother. He just was like, talk to the hand. He went and talked to somebody else. I've done this thing with my brother before. I'm not going to do it again. So he just goes and talks to somebody else. But now that he's with the king, he shows incredible um, deference to his king. Your servant will go and fight him. Now, the, the brother said, you conceited little wicked-hearted punk. Go home now. And he's like, mm, no, sorry. Going to go somewhere else. But now the king belittles him. And he says, don't be ridiculous. This is the New Living Translation. In other words, you can't be serious, David. Saul replied, there's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Get real, boy. You're on a suicide mission. Let me do the pros and cons with you. You're a, there are no pros. 
You're going to die. Let me give you the cons. You're a boy. He's a man. You got no muscles. He got muscles everywhere. You've never fought. He's been fighting since he was. You can't win. And the boy shows up and says, I'm ready, king. I'm ready to go. And king's like, no way. And the the boy's like, way. He said, king, you just don't have enough information. Let me fill in the blanks for you. And then he says this in 1 Samuel 17, 34. But David said to Saul, your servant, he just got dissed by the king. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, (laughs) I seized it by its hair. Hair's just a, a useful thing to take down the giant, a giant of a bear or lion. I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. I've already killed two giants with God's help. Look what he says. This uncircumcised Philistine would be like one of them. Because he has defiled the armies of the living God. Who did he defile? The armies of the living God. And then look at this. The Lord who rescued me. Who rescued him from the bear and the lion? The Lord who rescued me from the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, oh, well then go. And the Lord who rescued you be with you. Be with you. Yeah, you go on, little boy. David had experienced the power of God long before. And so when he shows up, He knew that God could turn his weakness into strength. Lion, bear, giant, it's as if David looked at the giant as just somebody else who's who's attacking the flock. Only it was the flock of the living God. And he says, I'll take him out. King Saul's like, "That's that's a really good resume, Davy boy. You should go, but first, let me add the thinking of man to the situation. Saul didn't pray about it. He didn't seek wise counsel because Saul never prayed about it. He never sought wise counsel. Look what he says in verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. Saul knew nothing personally about the incredible power of God. So what does he do? He says, let me, God, you need some help. You you don't know what you're talking about, little boy, so let me add my thinking to what you're doing, and let's cover up your vulnerabilities. Let's make you look stronger and more protected than you really are. And that's what your addiction does for you. Whatever your coping mechanism is, It makes you think you're stronger and more protected than you really are. (laughs) It makes you think that no one knows the truth about you, that there's this scared little boy or scared little girl on the inside walking around in Saul's armor. But here's a spoiler alert for you. Everybody already knows that you're a poser. Waylon loves my crocs of peace. And I always take them off. He's like, Pop, Pop, why do you always take off your Crocs? And I'm like, well, because when I'm sitting in a chair, I'm comfortable. So he'll come over and put on my Crocs of peace, and he'll start walking around. And they're way too big. Clomp, clomp, and he'll fall or they'll fall off, you know, and it's really cute. Pop, Pop, look at me. Pop, Pop, look at me. It's not nearly as cute when a a 30-year-old man is covering up with his coping mechanism, thinking no one knows the truth that he's a little boy who desperately needs God to intervene in his life. Did you know that this, this hiding our insecurity stuff, it actually started in the Garden of Eden. started with the very first humans on the planet. God had just created marriage. He saw one thing in the garden wasn't good. Man was alone, so he created Eve to correspond to the needs. They were to correspond and, and become one flesh. And so at the end of Genesis 2, verses 24 and 25 says this, This explains why a man leaves father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I want you to say, no shame. 
If you're, if you're watching, I want you to type, no shame. Now, let me read it again, and somebody should get a little excited about this. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. What do we say around here when, when you think you're going to do it, Dave? What do we say around here when we agree with the Scripture or with the preacher? Now, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Y'all are, y'all are like, he's about to say sex. Um, that's not the topic for today, so we'll just go on, but y'all are worried about this. Come on. Somebody should get excited that when you do life God's way, you can be naked and have no shame. Because when you don't do life God's way, you can be naked and have shame. And I have a feeling there's people in this room that this weekend they were naked and now they feel shame. Because anytime you do life apart from God, you can be naked and feel shame. And shame is what people feel when you don't do things God's way. God's way, naked, unashamed, no body issues, no wardrobe, no wardrobe malfunctions, no shame. And that is awesome. But when sin enters Adam and Eve's life and when sin enters into your life, it changes everything immediately. Verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. This was after they had sinned. As he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they, what'd they do? What's this word? They hid from him, from the Lord, among the trees. That's what you do when you feel shame is you hide. People have been hiding ever since the garden. Now, I want you to notice what a loving heavenly father does. It's what he always does. He did it then. He does it now. But the Lord God called out to the man. So God came looking for them in the garden because God had had face-to-face communication with them. They had peace with God until sin entered their life. And then when there was shame, they had no more peace with God, no more face-to-face with God. God comes looking for them and he says, where are you? God doesn't ask the question because he doesn't know where they are. God asks the question because Adam and Eve don't know where they are. They're hiding from what they desperately need. And you know how they didn't know? It's because of shame. Shame always causes us to hide. And God's asking you today, where are you? Are you in fellowship with me? Or are you hiding and pretending that everything's going well? Here's what, here's what Adam said. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. That's what we do. When we, when we feel vulnerable, we hide. I'm afraid of what people will think, so I'm going to hide. I'm going to cover up. I'm going to cope. Give me a drink. I cannot handle life without a drink. I cannot handle life without a drug. I cannot handle life without a one-night stand or without another like on Instagram. There is something that you use to cope, whatever it is. If it is not capital G-O-D, the one and true God, it's sin, and you're addicted. Before, the, before sin, before we call it the fall of man, the fall of humankind, Adam and Eve were face-to-face with God, but the moment they sinned, They ran from God thinking that's what they needed. I need to be out of the presence of God. But what they needed to be was in the presence of God. And what you need whenever you feel like you have to get away, you need God and you need God's people. See, the problem is addiction separates. It never reconciles. And that's bad enough. That should be a reason we avoid our addiction. But there's there's actually a second reason. Addiction always causes ripple effects. And this almost happens almost immediately in the scripture. Right after they're kicked out of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve have two sons. Before their sin, there was no competition. There was no compulsive behavior. After their sin, there's only competition and compulsive behavior, and that's still the norm today. 
When it came time to sacrifice, Cain and Abel both take a sacrifice to God. The Bible says that Ains, uh, Ains, Cain's was not accepted to God. Abel's was acceptable to God. Abel sacrificed. He, he, was, he sacrificed to God and was unashamed because he gave the best. Cain, the Bible tells us, gave some of, some of the rest. And he was ashamed because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. Abel offered the best. Cain offered some of the rest. And God rejected Cain. Now look, God sees what's going on in Cain's life and God says this to him in Genesis 4, 6, and 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, there's this word, sin is crouching at your door and look what sin wants to do. It desires to have you. But what should you do? You must rule over it. That's the opposite of addiction. Now right after God's warning, we come to a sad but predictable conclusion. Verse 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, hey, let's go out in the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Instead of confessing his sin, in an act of rage, he killed his brother. Why? I've got to eliminate the competition because if I eliminate the competition, I won't feel so bad about my unacceptable offering to God. How'd that work out for him? The moment we leave God and no shame, we jump into a cesspool of shame. And here's what you need to know. Shame cannot live in the presence of those who are acceptable before God. And do you know where shame always leads? To compulsive behavior. To shameful behavior. Did Cain actually eliminate Abel? I mean, he killed him physically, but he actually immortalized him in the, in the pages of Scripture. <laughs> now, back to 1 Samuel 17, 39, when David was in the presence of a king who wanted him to hide his vulnerabilities. Look what, what he did. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. Translation, this is not who I am. So he did this. He took them off. You need to take off the label of your addiction. I'm a Christ follower. You may struggle with something, but I'm a Christ follower. We sing, I'm no longer a slave to fear. We could sing, I'm no longer a slave to drugs. I'm no longer a slave to sex, to money, to power, to the approval of others. Why? Because I'm a child of God. You take off your addiction. That's not who you are. You are a child of God. And then look what he does in verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, because that's what he knew, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of the shepherd's bag, with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. David was in the presence of God. He was unashamed so he could go in the presence of this giant as himself. Now look what the giant does. Verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. He wasn't even a mean-looking boy. And Goliath despised him. He starts yelling all kinds of things at David because that's what giants do. They yell when life begins to hurt you, your giant's going to point out all of your vulnerabilities and you're going to be tempted to hide, to run to your addiction. But David didn't listen. He didn't go against Saul in the king's armor with his vulnerabilities covered up. Do you know how David went into battle? With peace with God. So he could just show up like he was. When you leave intimacy with God, your weaknesses, or I'm sorry, when you have intimacy with God, your weaknesses are totally irrelevant. Because we go in the power of God, not in your power. Doesn't even matter. I am who I am before God. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God 
Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And this day the Lord will deliver. Who will deliver? He will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut your head off. (laughs) I love this. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And then here's why. Not so that David could be free, not so that Israel could be free, so the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. God wants you delivered for his glory so that everyone around you will know there is a God in that person. There is a God at New Life Community Church. So when you feel um, vulnerable, you have two options. One is to cope and to cover up, which means you're going to worship your giant and pretend nobody knows. Or the other option is to run to Jesus. That's exactly what Paul did. I want you to see the difference in how Paul, the great apostle, responded to a messenger from Satan and how Saul, the horrible king, responded to a messenger from Satan. Both of them had a messenger from Satan, but they reacted in very different ways. Here's what Paul did in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. The king ran from God and he hid the prophet or the, the, the apostle Paul ran to God and he allowed God to, to say no to him. He pleaded. The, the, the scripture says, he, I, I, I asked three times, but it actually means I continually ask three times for God to remove this. And look what God says. He says, no. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. You gotta be kidding me, Paul. You delight in weaknesses in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. Why do you welcome being vulnerable? And he's gonna tell you, for when I'm vulnerable before God, when I'm weak before God, then what? I'm strong. Completely opposite of what the world tells you to do. I was mowing this week and and I was listening to a sermon and when I heard this line that we're about to put on the screen, I just started, I just started crying. Can't even drive my mower. Somebody, he's mowing while intoxicated. Because I just went, no one has ever done anything great for God who didn't also have a thorn from God. You're running from your problems. You're running from your weaknesses. And God says, I want to use that to show the world that I'm your God. When crisis comes, the world should see that we respond in a different way. I just wept and I thought about this. David, the David we're talking about, 14 years of discomfort before he becomes king. Jacob, you can read his story. He walked with a limp after wrestling with God, and God changed his name at that point to Israel, the name of the, the nation. Peter, oh my goodness, we know Peter in his mouth, and he, he got himself in trouble all the time. Um, God, Jesus comes to him and, and restores him after he denied him three times. John was, was an old man, died on the island of Patmos in, in exile. Paul, we know about his thorn, and Jesus Christ, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. God gives us testing wounds, not abusive wounds. Why? Because when we're vulnerable before him, when I am weak before him, then I am strong, and the giants will fall, and everyone will know that there is a God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your grace and thank you that you've given us a way to be free. 
And Lord, it doesn't matter what addiction we face. You want us to be free from it. So teach us the power of Jesus' name. Teach us the power of surrendering all of our life to Christ's care and control so that we can be free. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.